welcome to Thriller Vault, where thriller writers tell their favorite stories. I'm your host, Phil Williams, and tonight I have a very creepy story by Damien Vargas, told to you by Luke Richardson. Now, Damien Vargas writes action thrillers with a vein of dark humor. He's a self-exiled Brit living and working in Spain on the Costa del Sol. Experiencing everyday life in southern Spain opened Damien's eyes to the dark underworld that occurs mostly beyond the view of the annual influx of holidaymakers. These regular criminal goings-ons, coupled with the rich tapestry of life and stunning locations on the Costa del Crime, sparked a deep desire to write dark and fast-paced action and thriller stories. Six Hard Days in Andalusia was the first of these and was followed by the prequel, Den of Snakes. These were followed in August of 2021 by his new historical suspense thriller, The Dark Place. You can check out Den of Snakes for free on his website, DamienVargasFiction.com. Luke Richardson also has a free novel on his website at LukeRichardsonAuthor.com. Without further ado, let's get into the story. This is The Man Black by Damien Vargas. I'm that guy, the one who won't talk to strangers at trade shows and conferences, the guy who avoids eye contact on the morning commuter train, the guy who sits next to you on a flight but never initiates a conversation. I'm that guy. Most people assume that I'm shy, ignorant or totally boring. Well, I'll confess to the shyness. It's an affliction I've carried since my childhood, which is now many years in the past. Am I ignorant? I don't think so, although I'm cognizant that an ignorant person would probably answer just as I did. I have a postgraduate engineering degree, an addiction to current affairs, and a deep affection for history and biographies. So am I boring? Well, what makes for a boring person? A lack of life experience? No interesting tales to share, maybe? No scars of either the physical or mental varieties? By those measures, then I am boring. It is true. But then my life changed, and now I have a story to tell. I fly often. I work in construction as a project quality controller. And yes, that does sound boring, I grant you, for a big multinational based out of London. That necessitates frequent travelling around the Europe, the Middle East and North America. I hate flying, but my seniority in our company means that I nearly always get to fly business class. I like that. No queuing with the economy customers. I can wait in the comfortable lounges. And I have a space of my own while in the air. And I have no need to interact with anyone from home to hotel, except for the check-in and flight attendants. But this flight was different. A colleague working on a project in the south of Spain had been taken ill, and I was the logical replacement. The only issue. I had to get there early the next morning, and the only flights available were on the tourist cattle buses. I remember my trepidation as I pulled up in my cab at London's Heathrow Airport. The masses were thronging, kids crying, parents irate at them and at each other. Chaos constrained to a series of concrete and steel encasements, and not long after, 
within the belly of a big blue and yellow Boeing 737-800 that stank of freshly applied antibacterial cleaner and frustration. I found my seat. 15E. A middle seat on a row of three. A man in his late 50s already ensconced in the window seat, his hair greyer than it should have been and his eyes fixed on the wet grey outside. He peered at me as I clambered into my seat, gave me a nod but no smile, then turned back to the trickles of rainwater on the rectangular portal to his side. He was clutching at a paperback novel on his lap, I noticed. One of those ridiculous affairs about a vigilante roaming a small town in America writing justices and leaving trails of blooded corpses in their wake. It looked newly bought, the spine unbroken and the cover pristine. Another one of the millions of spontaneous airport purchases that spend years accumulating dust on a person's bookshelf before being donated to a charity store. I inserted my bottle of water, my phone and a packet of boiled sweets and my boarding pass into the small pocket in front of me and placed my noise-cancelling headphones around my neck, then buckled up my safety belt. Is, is this row 12? I peered up and to my left and into the face of a tall, dark-haired man. His face was pale, almost anemic. His hair swept back to his broad shoulders, black and greasy looking. It's as if he'd been toiling at some form of manual labour for several hours, but he smelled divine. He glanced at the other man to my right, as if expecting him to answer the question. The man with the paperback remained peering out into the increasingly heavy rain. No, I replied, while jabbing my index finger at the row numbering above, the black and yellow sign less than three inches from the tall man's face. Oh, oh, sorry to have bothered you, he said, his eyes once again traversing from me and the man sat at my right. He walked away and lowered himself into a seat three rows in front, and so, I assumed, that was the last of our encounter. But five minutes later, just as the attendants at the front of the aircraft were closing the door, I saw him returning, his black backpack in hand. He stopped adjacent to me and laughed as he opened the overhead luggage compartment and then grinned. Turns out I was in row 15 after all. He slammed the compartment door shut and then sat down next to me and offered his hand. Frank, he said, with a smile designed to melt the heart of any heterosexual woman. Frank Black, he said. I peered at the outstretched hand until my social anxiety forced me to accept it. You got a name, friend? He said, the smile still projecting from his ghostly white face. Uh, Terry, I said. Terry, he replied, his dark pupils locked onto my eyes. Uh, just Terry, I said. His smile morphed into an amused smirk. Okay, just Terry it is. He looked past me to the man to my right while tightening up his seatbelt. And what line of work is it that takes you to Malaga this grim morning, just Terry? He asked. I had already decided that I did not like this individual. My normal course of action would have been to bury my head into a document or to feign sleep. But his manner was proving more than irksome. Mightn't I just be heading for a vacation out in the sun? I responded, 
just like everyone else on this plane. He held my stare for an uncomfortably long time, his eyes running over my cotton shirt, my pressed trousers and my polished leather shoes. You're not on holiday, friend. Anyone can see that. The man to my right shifted in his seat, knocking my elbow. Ah, oh, my apologies, he murmured, but then looked into the face of the man with the greasy hair. His eyes widened and his jaw lowered. It seemed to me as if the temperature in the plane had suddenly dropped a few degrees. Hi there, friend, said Black. Hello, stuttered the man next to the window. He seemed to withdraw into himself, his legs pushing together, his hands flat on his thighs. He looked back towards the window. Frank Black smiled. It seemed to me to be the reaction that many of us have when we realise we've just solved a minor conundrum or expelled doubt from our minds. He sat back in his chair, but just as I reached for my earphones, he turned back to face me. So, your job, what is it that you do? I sighed. Look, Mr Black, I don't want to appear rude, but I have an important audio recording I need to listen to before I get to Malaga. I held up the earphones to exaggerate my point. Not a talker then, he said. I beg your pardon, I replied. It's okay, I, I get it. You don't normally travel economy. He unleashed another of his devilish grins. No drama. Okay, good, I replied. I mean, I don't want to cause offence. The man to my right shifted in his seat again. Well, that's not really accurate, is it? Said Black. Pardon me, I replied. Black ran his index finger down the back of the seat in front of us, while peering along the walkway between the seats ahead. Then he looked back at me. His smile was gone. You say you don't mean to cause offence, but that's not really true, is it? Just Terry. He was peering into my eyes now, his pupils dark to endless wells of knowing. What you mean, I'd venture to say, is that you simply don't want to talk to me. Am I right? It was only then that I realised that the aircraft was now lurching along the runway seconds from liftoff. The momentum forced me back into my seat. No, I told him, I don't want to talk to you. His smile returned. Thank you for your confession, he said. I held his stare, the strangeness of his sentence echoing around my head. The look on my face must have conveyed my thoughts. What? he asked. It's, it's, it's nothing, I said. No, Terry, don't be shy. For once in your life, speak plainly to a stranger, why don't you? His accent which at first I'd have sworn was that of a well-bred English grammar school man, now seemed to belie a hint of having originated in the southern states of the US. I'm, I'm sorry, I said, unable to mask my surprise at his candour. Speak plainly is all, for a man who speaks his mind when asked is merely granting another a degree of respect, don't you think? Black said. I decided to move past this latest question and to address the prior one. You used quite an odd phraseology. That, that's all I meant. I did, Black said. Yes, 
I agreed. He scratched at his stubble. What did I say? His face appeared playful as a wizened old man, coaxing the truth out of a stubborn adolescent. It irritated me even more. You thanked me for my confession, I said. That is not only an odd choice of words, but it's also wholly inaccurate. I confess to nothing. And if it is too much to ask, I continued, my tone raised and forthright, I'd very much like to end this conversation now. If it doesn't, you know, cause offence. He chuckled. (laughs) You do not offend me, friend, he said, his eyes returning to the aircraft's central aisle and to the backside of the pretty brunette that had just walked past. You couldn't offend me. Assuming our exchange to be over, I again made to lift my earphones to my head, but was again interrupted by my irritating neighbour. But this time, it wasn't I to whom he was directing his attention. Excuse me, friend, but I can't help but feeling we've encountered one another previously, he said. The man to my right slowly arched his head, the face black. I, I, I don't believe so, he said although his tone seemed at odds with his assertion. They held each other's stares. The name's Black, Frank Black. The man to my right shook his head. No, 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 I'm sorry, sir. I don't recollect, and I have a strong mind for faces and names. Very, very good mind for such things. Hmm, Black muttered. Then surely I am mistaken, my apologies. It is quite all right, said the man to my right and then settled back into his seat. Black slapped his thigh and shook his head. No, 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 I'm I'm sure, sure of it, he continued. His voice, I was sure, now twinged with a curt North European manner. It was as if the man was a vessel in which resided a multitude of people. It put me on edge, I have to admit. I reached up to the ceiling ventilation nozzle and twisted it to turn off the cold air. The nozzle was stuck, frozen. Black leaned forward in his seat, eyed the man to my right, then looked at me. How do you suggest we get to the bottom of this problem, just Terry? I sighed again, dropped the earphones to my lap. Can you just stop calling me that? I said. Calling you what? Black said. You know what? I said. He peered at me his face that of an innocent child. Please just stop calling me just Terry, I said. To be truthful, I find it most annoying. But you said that was what they call you, he said, one eyebrow raised. I shook my head. Black's turn of phrase was beyond curious, like that of someone who has become so immersed in historical fiction that it's affecting their psyche. I chose to ignore that. My name is Terry Dixon, not just Terry for Christ's sake. The man to my right jolted somewhat, as if he'd been poked in the back. Black's face was one of mock indignity. For what do you know of Christ's sake? He asked, while glancing once again at the man to my right. What? Nothing, I said. It's just a turn of phrase. You're angry. You're angry at me, Black said and it caused for you to not only raise your voice, but use the Lord's name in vain. 
The Lord, I said, while raising my eyes to the aircraft's roof panels, come again? The phrase is the Lord, not your Lord. Is this some technique you use? Some technique, Black said. Using words in curious ways to confuse people, I asked, to catch them off guard. Is this some elaborate grift you're attempting? Black smirked at me. I was merely making it clear that he is your lord and not mine. Oh, well, that's okay, I suppose, I said. We're in agreement then. How so? Black said, inspecting me in the same manner that I might inspect a newly constructed edifice. I mean, that I'm not religious either. Hence, we're in agreement. The temperature in the cabin seemed to have dropped again. The windows had all misted up, a phenomenon I had not noticed before on any previous flight. I didn't say that I'm not religious, Terry Dixon, Black said, merely that he is not my lord. Black shifted his gaze to the man to my right. Isn't that right, Mr. Sanchez? The man to my right softened. His eyes looked on the safety instructions on the back of the seat in front of him. Wait, I said, peering at both men. I thought you didn't know each other. We know of each other, said Black, his tone almost menacing. We do not actually know each other. One of the attendants was approaching now. The man to my right waved his hand to catch her attention. Yes, sir, she responded. I'd like to move, please, to another seat. The attendant's confusion was plain to see. She looked at Frank Black and then at me. Is there some kind of problem? she asked. There's all kinds of problem, honey, said Black with a grin, but none that you can solve. He touched his hand to her arm, just the barest of contact, but she jolted. Her face locked at his. It was as if a powerful electric current had passed between them. The attendant held his stare for several seconds and I realised that she was biting hard on her lip. A small trickle of blood emerged from under her teeth. Black lifted a paper handkerchief up and touched his own lip to indicate that she was bleeding. The blonde woman took the paper and dabbed at her mouth. I'm sorry, I need to go. She swivelled away from us and then hurried down the aisle. What did you just do? I said, a rising tautness in my chest, while trying to create some space between myself and the man who called himself Black. He winked at me. "'Tis merely the power of suggestion," he said, a glint of darkness in his eye. A cheap parlour trick. You don't need to be of any significance to be able to perform such acts where I'm from," he said. His voice was now that of a Hispanic. I looked at the man Sanchez. He was gripping his thighs and he was trembling. This man, Black and he, surely had business between themselves, a business that every fibre of my being was screaming for me to have nothing to do with. I started to reach for my things. What are you doing, Terry? said Black in an interrogative tone, his accent now that of an officious Aryan. I, 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 I think, I think I should let you two gentlemen sort out whatever business you have between each other. 
The plane is full, Black said. There's nowhere else for you to go. I was standing. I looked around me. It was true. There was not an unoccupied seat anywhere. And then I saw the faces of the other passengers. Or rather, I saw they had no faces. No eyes, no noses, no mouths. Not a single one. Just a smooth shade of a myriad skin tones. Slight depressions, no form. I fought the urge to vomit and grabbed at the seat in front of me. What the f***ing hell is this? I screamed. Hell, said Black with a smirk. This isn't hell. That's not this plane's destination. That's not your destination. Well, not yet. But as for Mr. Sanchez here... What? What's happening? I screamed. Tell me! My eyesight was narrowing and I could hear the sound of my own screams. We have a tradition, said Black, where I'm from, that is. I stared into his eyes, which had now become devoid of any whiteness. There was only Black. The man, Sanchez, was shaking uncontrollably now. Don't fight it, said Black, staring at him. You know you can't fight it. Just let it happen. My spine was pushed tight into the plastic seat behind me, and I fought to clamber up and away from this insanity. Sit down, commanded Black, and I found myself thrust back down into my own seat by an overwhelming invisible force. The man, Sanchez, was frothing at the mouth now. His fingers had shredded his grey trousers. Blood trickled from his ears. What are you doing to him? I screamed. I told you, Black replied in a calm voice, this time that of an Irishman. And then a Russian. We have a tradition where we come from. Where you come from? I screamed. Where the f*** do you come from? Black smiled as the man Sanchez doubled up in agony, then waved a hand around the aircraft cabin at the myriad of faceless entities. He laughed. (laughs) Ask them where we come from, why don't you? What is happening? I shouted. All these people, the passengers, their faces, they... They don't have faces, Terry. Because each of them, every man, every woman, every child, were... At some point in time, two faced. So I took away their faces, just for a moment. The plane load of smooth, skinned, faceless tourists seemed ignorant of their gross disfigurements. They chuckled and giggled and bawled and and snorted. Who are you? I shouted. What is all this? Is this a dream? A nightmare? Oh, oh no, you're not dreaming, Terry Dixon said Black. This is quite real, I assure thee. And it's only a nightmare for Signor Sanchez here. I looked at Sanchez for what was going to be the last time. Once a normal, perfectly standard human being, his body was now shrinking in on itself. He was melting as if a wax candle in human clothing. He slumped his torso, then his limbs, then his head deflated, and a puddle of pink goo gushed upon the carpet. Why? Why are you doing this? I asked. Because, bellowed Black, we have rules. He rose up as if lifted by invisible wires, lifted his arms into a Jesus Christ pose, and shouted, 
What do we have? Rules, shouted the faceless masses. My head was spinning. My heart was beating so fast that my chest and my head hurt. Black was doubled up and laughing now, and Sanchez had all but disappeared. Nothing but a putrid mess under my shoes. I've, I've gone insane, I whispered as the world spun around me ever faster in a merry-go-round of madness. I awoke to the sound of the aircraft touching down at Malaga Airport. I rubbed my eyes and looked around me. All was as it should be. The parents still irate, their offspring still screaming. All with faces. Except there was no Frank Black, nor Mr Sanchez, nor even a stain in the carpet at my feet. An attendant approached. I grabbed his arm. Where are the two men that were sitting with me? I pleaded. The attendant's eyebrow lifted. Oh, what, what men, sir? You had this row all to yourself, the whole flight. No, 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 that isn't true, I said. There was a man called Frank Black. He was tall and handsome. His skin was pale and his hair was long. And there was the, the other man, Mr Sanchez, in this seat here. Something happened to him, something awful. But I don't see either of them now. The young flight attendant shook his head. I I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm needed up the front. And with that, he walked away. I sat in my seat as all the other passengers departed, watching them one by one. Were they willing participants to this whole affair? I wondered. But what affair had it been? Had anything ever happened? For there was no evidence of its passing. Did I see a man destroyed beside me in such a gruesome manner? Or was it all some madness of the mind? Of my mind? I gathered my things and rose from the seat and then started along the aisle towards the cockpit. I remained shy and even less inclined to talk to strangers now. But now I would have a story to tell if I did, in fact, talk to anyone. That was The Man Black by Damien Vargas, read by me, Luke Richardson. I hope you enjoyed the story. If so, please check out Damien Vargas at DamienVargasFiction.com. Thank you so much for watching and listening to Thriller Vault. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and we'll see you next week for another thrilling story. 